0: Fantastic. Now, what I want you to do is to keep that energy, and, and as I'm talking, maybe say yes, amen, or some words of encouragement as i going on. Because as somebody who gets sort from of preaching, teaches, it's like a feedback loop. It's got God and the Holy Spirit, and me and you all in that. And uh, I recognize that some of you are concentrating so hard that a smile can't appear on your face. But if, if it can, that would be amazing that at least I know that you, you, you're not bored. Fantastic, great stuff. Okay. Um, we've got Bibles, we've got Bible apps. Um, please get them. It's important that we bring the Word of God to the meeting every week, whether that's in a digital form or in an analogue form. And there are some Bibles over there on the site too, if you'd like to get one there. English Standard Version Bibles over there. Um, I'm not going to read from that particular translation, so that will help. I'm going to read from the new living translation. But hopefully, within your different Bibles, you'll, uh, you'll kind of get the gist of what I am saying. Um, and what i want to do is to thumb, so once you've got those, which just thumb, in Colossians chapter four. And I'm going to in a few moments' time I'm going to read through two, verses two to six. So don't read it just yet. Just thumb it, just find it. Colossians 4 verses 2 to 6. So, so now you've got your hand on it, you've got your bookmarked part, part of your digital uh, uh, thing. We're going to read that in a few moments. Um, Now, last week, Kathy spoke about life after the resurrection. And if you weren't here last week, I wish there were a few. um, Let me me encourage you to catch up online. So, chtslee.net slash stuff uh, and catch it online and listen to it again. Um, I think she spoke really well. uh, And she encouraged us to begin to live. Or to continue to live, if that's the way you are already sent lives, sent lives. In other words, she was encouraging us to do what Christ asked us to do, which is to live missionally. Now, missional kind of that definition kind of various kind of things in people's heads as to what that means. But Kathy defined it as something not necessarily maybe uh, I think she talked about out of Mongolia. And uh, 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 convert the natives there, or anything like that, and tell them about Jesus. She 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 didn't put it within that context. She defined it as something where that we should have an active missional lifestyle right where we are. So we should be, you know, talking about Jesus, reaching others to Jesus, not being shy about our faith, doing things, you know, that, that an example of what Jesus would want us to do, actually, with being good to our neighbours and things like that. Um, to be a, that's a lifestyle that kind of mission. So it's not separating the kingdom of God from the rest of your life. Um, really that's quite impossible because this is the kingdom of God, this is your life. Everything is within that, if you're a believer that is the way that it works. So you don't separate those two things. So that you are missional whether you are doing something for church, involved in church activities, whether you're at school, whether you work, or whether you're at play. You are a missional. Person. Okay, that's the definition. She was kind of putting across last week. Again, really good. This week, I want to look at fundamentally as Christians. And if you're not a believer this morning, I pray that you know this speaks to you to a to degree as well. Um, for, the, for the rest of us, are Christians, what what are we doing? And these these fundamental things, what we're doing to help ourselves with living sense. What things? are we doing in our lives that help us to live this kind of mission lifestyle, this sent lifestyle to right where we are? Um, So I guess the question that I want to answer is this. What are some fundamental practices of our Christian faith? What are some fundamental practices of our Christian faith? And if you look at the definition of fundamental, it, it just simply says this It's a necessary core Of central importance A necessary core of central importance So then What then is necessary In, in our faith What represents the, the core Of what we believe And therefore how we work out That belief Okay So I want to begin to, to answer that question By reading Colossians 4 2-6 and I think it's really just following quite nicely with that this week. So, to it, open it at the end, I'm going to read it out. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in Chains. Pray that I proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers. I'll make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. And that's a guy called Paul from the scripture. You've got a lot of the New Testament. Paul misses him writing to um, a particular church. Uh, and he is at this moment in time imprisoned. Uh, and he's in chains. Um, uh, but they still can let communicate with the outside world and send people out. Uh, and this is kind of bookmarked between some hellos and greetings and, and some goodbyes and things like that. But this is kind of the, the, the meat of Colossians, Colossians 4. So what I want to try and do is to split this down for us into three, uh, those into I think are three fundamental practices. And those are Prayer, word, and life. Prayer, word, and life. And, you know, I, I could actually, this could be a series, it could be a three-part series talking about prayer and word and life. So I'm going to cover some of the basics this morning, but I think it's good for us to, to really start to think about these things that I'm about to, to, about to share with you, and to work out what, what, it, what are you do in life, and what you do in your life is you know fundamental practices. So I'm going to break it down. So the first one is prayer. Number one is prayer. And Paul, the first word that he uses in this part of scripture is devote yourselves to prayer. So devote. In Luke 16, 13, it says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or you cannot serve both God and something else. There is only one person that you serve, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And so the question you've got to begin to ask yourself is, even thinking about prayer, what is taking up your time? What is taking up your time? How often is prayer pushed to the bottom of your list? Or sometimes it's, it's not even on the list, it's just. It's just discarded. You know, we said that life is very, very busy. But life is what you make it. Life is how you organize it. Life is how you structure it. Right. And if you really want to do something, you'll make time to do it. Somehow, in some ways. And so, Paul is encouraging us to, be, to live lives that we're devoted to, to wanting to pray, to wanting to talk to our Lord God, and to have that conversation with him. And it's fundamental. That the, that's the kind of almost the bedrock of our faith, you know, in terms of how we work out that relationship. And if we're not given enough, enough time to, to, to pray, you know, whether that be in our secret place or whether that be corporately, then we're missing out on something huge in, in our faith, in our belief. So that's number one. Now, Paul then talks about being, being alert, stay alert. He says. And in 1 Peter 5 8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a, a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now in scripture, Jesus is referred to as the lion of Judah, isn't he? Yeah. And he somehow smiles and some more on that one. He is, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And I find it interesting that. In, in, in Peter there it says he, the, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion the devil is trying to impersonate Jesus the devil is trying to imitate everything that he can do now for those of you who know a bit of my backstory I'm going to share quite a bit of that this morning you'll know that, that I was once part of many years ago one of my 16, 17, 18 maybe 50, I was part of a spiritualist church and it was basically Morley Behind the, the library, and, and you know, the, the building looks like a small church, a small chapel, a chapel, should I say, a small church. And we used to, you know, we used to go on Sunday morning at 10:15, and we used to have it an organ, and, and some old, old chapel would play the organ. We would sing hymns, you know, that talked about Jesus. Uh, and we would kind of pray prayers so that. Mentioned Jesus, there was even cross on on the wall. Did, if, if you didn't know what was coming next, it was a church service in the traditional sense. However, what came next, and this is what it defines it, is, is that instead of having somebody preaching the word of God, God has been saying to them, it would be something that you might recognise, or, or as the, the word of Clairvoyant medium. Does that make sense to you? Let's say those two words. So not necessarily a fortune teller. But somebody who believed they had a direct connection to the afterlife. And so that they, they could speak to the spirits of the dead. They could speak to those people who had passed on. So I might come to you, Susan. This is what uh, this is what they might do. Hey, um, can I come to you, Matt? Yes, you in the blue. Um, uh, there's somebody passed recently, and I'm uh, kind of a, a granddad. A, Right now. And of course you'd be going, yeah, yeah, of course, because most people of this certain age, they probably don't have a granddad who's still alive. So you're pretty much on, on, on a firm basis that they're, that they're going to then be speaking about your granddad who was dead. And then they're so wonderfully clever and, and great kind of uh, uh, body language readers that they will begin to think, now they bless them, they may think that they're getting a connection from heaven, but they're not. Because even when they get it, they're not. And there's no way you could have known information. There's only one source where information came from. And that was from the devil. That was from the demon. That was from the pit the But it would have helped you since you would have felt encouraged and uplifted. And then you would have gone on and shared how amazing the scripture this church is and how wonderful it is. And so therefore the devil is getting foothold in your life and getting foothold in other people's lives. Through being a <coughs> and wonderful and encouraging. Doesn't that sound odd? But the devil is also known as the great deceiver, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he will imitate everything that Christ does. So you have to be alert. You have to be alert. And, 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 and that alertness comes from having a consistent relationship with Jesus, when, the, when the way you talk to God. And that you're hearing His Holy Spirit, and that you can, through wisdom that He gives you, understand what is heavenly and what is not. And you need that. You need that awareness because the devil leaves you all sorts of ways to get a foothold in your life. We need to have a, a lives that, our prayers that are thankful prayers. You know, they're not, they're not. It's not a wish list of things. Although in Philippians four. Six. he says, don't worry about anything, he said, pray about everything, tell God what you need, <laughs> and thank him for all he has done, yeah, tell God what you need, because he's your dad, and he wants to do you good, as a father, my kids can tell me what their inputs need, and often than not, tell me what they want, and I think that's the difference, what's a need and what's a want, um, but as a, as a father, I know what is best for them. And our Father knows what is best for us. Our Heavenly Father knows what is best for us. So, you know, the, the most basic prayer is say thanks. Just give him thanks. You know, give him thanks for the air that you breathe. Give him thanks for the planet that you live on. Give him yeah. thanks for kids and for your family. Just he's blessed you with all these amazing things. Give him thanks. No matter what other turmoil may be happening in your life. You're breathing. You're alive that's 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 so, that's and, and another thing about prayer think of others in your prayers as well because that's the thing going back to the scriptures church you know when we gather together is to praise him when you gather together in a scriptures church it's it's to it's to feed you what can you get what can things mean to you get it's all about your ego and building you up. whereas this gathering together is about building him up, and through that you will be replaced, but it's him first, not you first. So think of others when you pray. It says in Job 42 verse 10, it says this, when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Who knows the story of Job? Stick your hand up in the air. Okay. you probably have an idea maybe if you haven't read really what Job is. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's read it, I'm not gonna go into it because that'll just take a long time to read it. Most of you know what Job is, but basically he loses a lot and then it gives him loads back. Um, and I'm taking this out of context, but I do think it is incredible. It's an incredible line because God asked Job to pray for his friends. And again, if you've read the book, you know that his friends aren't really that helpful. You know, they're not that helpful. Like they're coming out, their helpfulness is coming, coming from a different place. Um, but God asks Job to pray for his friends rather than destroying them. God says, pray for your friends. I don't want to destroy them. Because, you know, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God doesn't, whatever your definition of hell is, and again, I'm not going to go into that theological debate right now, you know, whether that is is a separation from God for all of eternity. If you realize that God exists and is the most amazing, creature, or well, it's not creature is, it's, it's just, is outside of our, of, our, of our thinking of what we can understand. And you can't be with him, that's going to be a hell, isn't it? That's going to be enough. And he, he would rather people be with him than be away from him. And he will give everybody opportunities to be with him. And so he asks Joe please pray for your friends. And like I can say what's amazing is that he gives him twice as much as before. You know, if we pray for our friends, God will bless us. We don't do it for that reason, that's important. We don't pray for others because we're going to get. We, we do it because we want, we want others to be blessed. But God will bless us in return because we're putting others first. Genuinely putting them first. Pray for your friends. <coughs> pray for your family. Pray for your church family. Pray for me. <laughs> you know, I'm your friend. I'm uh, you know, pray for me. Pray for my family. You know, just just pray. You know, have a tick list. Have a have a something on your fridge. I don't know. A tick, you know, and if we're all praying for one another, then everybody's covered, aren't they? You know, so pray. And God will bless you in that act of praying Okay. So that's number one. Number two is something that is I'm passionate about. it is, is the word. It's the word of God. Paul, in Colossians, uh, in the Colossians verses, he talks about opportunities. He talks about opportunities. And in James 1, 22, he says, but don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. God is calling us all to step up and step out. To read about how good God is. To understand through his word the whole thing of holding right in To understand who he is to a degree, what kind of character he wants, what kind of things he does and how he's done it. But then to take that and then to express it in our lives as we interact with others. The word of God, give, it, 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 it's, it's a guidebook on how to live an amazing life. Particularly in the New Testament, which is it reveals points of the old. An amazing book that enables us to understand what it is to be to live in a Christ-like way. It also equips us, and Paul talks about equipping Proverbs 4-5, to probably my favorite verse in the whole of the scripture. Get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget my words Oh, sorry, yeah, Proverbs 4-5 do not forget my words or turn away from them. Get wisdom, get understanding. If, if you don't read your Bible enough if you've never read it you're never going to get understanding and wisdom because it's the Word and the Holy Spirit together it's not one or the other okay it's not one or the other we need both of those things together to really understand who God is who Jesus is okay um, you know we When we get opportunities to talk to each other, to talk to others about our faith, you know, our source is Jesus, our source is the Holy Spirit, our source is the Word of God. And I've said this before, but it may go in and you may forget it. But I do believe once it's in, it's in. And when you're talking with others, when you're conversing with others, when you're living out that life, it will just come out in ways that you'd be amazed at. You know, my early Christian walk. You know, I, I read quite a lot of the Bible, and I didn't remember. I've a rubbish memory. I don't remember anything. That's um, so why I've got it written down here. And you know, years later, I'm amazed that kind of the, the words that came out of my mouth that were completely scriptural, but I didn't know they were in the Word of God. You know, and I'm not. I'm not special. You know, it's for all of you. You know, so read the Word. You know, don't get. It's good to do word studying to get stuck into one verse, but you know, read the Word. You know, let it, let it, let it get in there, let it, let it, let it, you know, rest in your heart, you know, and and it will just come out when it needs to, how it needs to, which moves me on to something called uh, apologetics. And I think Paul, um, particularly when I read you this, this, this verse from Philippians, is a huge supporter of apologetics. And what I mean by that is not, it's not something where you apologize for your faith, but apologetics is the art of defending your faith. It's the art of, of um, when people challenge you about your faith, you're able to give a good answer to it, a reasonable answer that makes sense. Let me read you Philippians 1 7 and tell you why I think Paul is a defender, or rather uh, an encourager, of, of studying kind of apologetics and defending your faith. He says this It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Whether I am in chains or defending. And confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. That's Philippians 1 verse 7. So whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. See, we all need to be able to answer questions that challenge our faith. We we all need to do that to, to a degree. These are questions like Does God allow suffering? Does God allow suffering? How reliable is the Bible? Does God heal? What is the kingdom of God? Is there life after death? How do I even know that God exists? If I came up to you right now and tell me and said to you, "Does God heal?" Would you be able to give a good defence of your faith and the fact that God does heal? I'm not going to ask you. But I'm, I'm. That's the challenge yourself with these questions because we need to understand the basic tenets of our faith. We need to get equipped and we need to be able to defend it, particularly in the culture in which we live. You know, we're bombarded on all sides. You know, people want to put us in a box. And, you know, you say, you do your faith, you do do that thing there, but don't bother the rest of society. Well, I read a great quote this morning that said, "Our, our faith is personal, but it's not private. Our faith is personal, but it's not private. So, get equipped and be ready to graciously Defend your faith. And that's an important word. Graciously defend your faith. Don't get into an argument with anybody about your faith. You'll never win anybody over in an argument. It needs to be reasonable and understood. And then finally, the, the last thing in, in this section of word, keep it plain. You know, and you, when you read the word, it's plain. You know, we don't need to jump through any theological hoops. To get to say one thing or another. When, when you find you're doing that, then you're probably doing something the Bible isn't saying. If you find yourself having to jump through theological hoops, you're probably beginning to say something it doesn't actually say. Let me read you 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. In, in all this word study, in all this apologetics, we, we mustn't forget that our focus, our primary focus, is to reach people and, and to be understood by those people. And quite often, the simplest words, in combination with the power of the Holy Spirit, is the most powerful way of, of putting that message across. And it's, it's more powerful than the most theological and charismatic kind of speech. So my my encouragement is keep it real. Keep it relevant. Because then this discounts no one from spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Not any one of you is discounted from spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Just keep it plain. Keep it simple. And and you'll find that people want to listen and understand what you're saying. Number three: life. so pray word now life. Paul talks about wisdom, and in James 1 five it says, "If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you that's that 's good, good isn 't it that 's good news um, we 're called out. We're, we're, we, are, we are commanded in fact there 's not very few commands that we 're given, but we are absolutely commanded by Jesus to make disciples and that means firstly we need to see souls saved we need to be that kind of final rung on the ladder. As to you know the holy spirit has been working with them let us be that that final kind of bit of their journey and be there with them and once they are saved once they know and have a relationship with jesus then we are commanded to make disciples to help people grow and mature in their faith and you know As you practice your testimony, this is a year of transformation and testimony. And we all have to practice our testimony, practice telling our witness of who Jesus is. You know, we can do it by our lifestyle, but as Kath said last week, you know, that that saying that's attributed to Francis of Assisi, you know, uh, uh, spread the good news, if needed, use words or something like that. Well, I don't agree with that either. We need to use words. We can't just be Christ-like. We need to open our mouths and tell people about Jesus. So it's both. It's about what you do and how you do it, but also opening your mouth and telling people about Jesus and how good he is. So we need to practice our story, our testimony. When you ask in a humble and teachable heart, God will give you his, his wisdom. He'll He'll enable others then to see the heart of God through you. If you approach him humbly and with a teachable heart. So get wisdom. Paul says the word opportunities again in that Colossians verse. So opportunity is is clearly really, really important. Taking opportunities when they come is really, really important. And in Jeremiah 8 verse 20, it says, The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Paul is stressing that we really shouldn't miss opportunities to tell people about Jesus. And that when people are ready to hear the good news, when they've got an open heart and an open mind to hear the good news, we need to be ready to step up. Otherwise, generations will just fall by the wayside without ever hearing about Christ. We must never get loosey-goosey with our faith and telling others about Jesus. We're all called to make disciples. We're all called to be on that journey with people as they come to know Jesus. In fact, I go so far to say that we need to create opportunities. Actually, not just wait for them to come along, but actually create the opportunities yourself. Because, like I say, if we don't step up and step out and share the love and the message of Jesus, then folks will be lost for eternity. I said this statement, uh, this, this, this quote uh, a few months ago. It's an American atheist and he once said something like this. I'm paraphrasing it slightly. It's worth reminding you of it. If you believe... He said this, American atheist. I think it's one of Penn or Teller. You know the, the two magicians, Penn and Teller? Do you know those guys? It's very popular American kind of magicians. And one of them said this. I think it was the bigger one that said it. If you believe that heaven and hell exist, and when folks are saved, they go to heaven, and if they're not, they go to hell, then how must... How must How much must you hate someone not to tell them about Jesus? That's a powerful statement, isn't it? It's coming from an atheist. So if you believe that heaven exists and that hell exists, and yet you don't tell your friends and your family about Jesus, then he's saying, how much must you hate them? Because if they don't know about Christ, where are they going? Where are they going to end up for all eternity? The worst place imaginable. We have a responsibility to tell people about Jesus in both our lifestyle, but using words, opening our mouths and telling them about Jesus. Because I don't hate any of my family or my friends, and I'm very open about my faith, both in the real world and in the virtual world as well. And I'm not ashamed, to use uh, Martin Smith's words, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the one I love. And that is Jesus. Amen? It talks about encouraging. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage one another and build each other up just as you were already doing. The Bible tells us that there's a gift of encouragement just as there is a gift of prophecy and a gift of healing. Uh, And this passage of Scripture, and, and there's... Uh, where it talks about the gift of, of encouragement is, is romans 12 7 8. it also talks about the gift of generosity and leadership so it's putting the gift of generosity the gift of leadership within that bracket it's so important that we we encourage one another because we all have access to all of the gifts of the spirit but there are those in whom a uh, particular gifts are more primary and if you have that gift of encouragement and i know a number of you have that, that gift of encouragement Give it more. <laughs> encourage more. Because you it is amazing what one word of encouragement makes. Just just one sentence of it, you know, when somebody might be feeling down, they might be far away, just that one moment of connection to encourage them can make a whole lot of difference. Encouragement is very, very powerful. So we need this gift of encouragement more than ever. And believe it or not, I need the gift of encouragement more than ever. I meet, might seem sometimes like I've got it all sewn up and I'm all cool and I'm all good. Far from it, folks. You know? I often, I often encounter the gift of complaining. <laughs> I, I often encounter the gift, of di- the gift of disagreement. I'd love hearing more of the gift of encouragement, as I'm sure everybody would in every sphere of your life. So encourage, even if it isn't your primary gift, if it is your primary gift, then, then, then do it more in every avenue that you can possibly think of because you'll make a whole lot of difference. And finally in this section, and this is so important, listening. Paul talks about being able to listen. In Proverbs 18:13, it says, To answer before listening... That is folly and shame. To answer before listening is folly and shame. Paul asks us in our conversations to be gracious and attractive and have the the right response. So let me ask you this question. How can we give the right response if we've not truly listened in the first place? How can we give the right response if we've not truly listened in the first place? You know, people know if you're giving them lip service. You know, don't you? You, you, just, you know when someone's not really there, don't you? There's something in their eyes or something in their body. Like within moments, you know whether they're really concentrating on, on what you're, you're saying, don't you? you? You kind of... Oh, sorry. Um, put that down, you know? Don't, don't look at it. When you're talking with somebody, you know, it's going to be there for... What did we do before mobile phones, you know? <laughs> we communicate, that's true. And, and I'm a big believer in kind of what this is the technology has brought us. But, you know, be there in the moment. Listen when somebody's talking, you know. Give them your 100% undivided attention. And then you can give a right response if that response is indeed required. (laughs) Sometimes you you just have to listen and they don't want a response. As a man, that's really difficult because we're hardwired to give you a a solution to your problem. And I understand that women, on the whole, just want you to listen. So, you know, if you're in those kind of stereotypes, then as a man, you don't need to give a solution. Sometimes you just need to listen. Some women too. Um, Now, So be attentive, be honest in your interaction, and if you're challenged with opinions and thoughts that differ from your own, give a gracious response. Don't fall into arguments and and things like that. Because we're all human beings and we all have slightly different thoughts and slightly different things, you know, and let's challenge them but, but in a way that is gracious and is the right response. Now, I've said a load of stuff, Uh, and it's kind of, you know, I've talked about some fundamentals of what I believe and what I think the scripture talks about, you know, it's it's fundamental to your faith. How do you work that out in the real world? And I've I've given you some kind of examples, but I want to put it into the context of my story, of how I think these things were worked out in my journey to becoming a Christian and beyond. So my story, and forgive me if you've heard this before, but I think it's good to practice your testimony. It's good to share your story. My story begins in a coffee shop and a bookshop. My story begins with me needing to get newspapers from a certain bookshop and meeting a certain lady in a certain bookshop where I went to get the Italian newspaper to take back to my coffee shop. That person was my wife, Cathy. She worked in Borders Bookshop, I managed Caffeineer, and we used to get the Italian Gazetta, I think it was, or something like that. And uh, that's where we met. That's where my story begins. Now, um, I knew other people that, that worked in, uh, in Borders, and I asked them to put in a good word for me on a few occasions with this lady who worked in the newspaper section of Borders. and. I knew from that conversation with my friends that this certain lady was a Christian. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, I certainly was not a Christian. I don't think I need to say any more than that. But I certainly didn't do things a Christian way. Um, and so, I thought that'd be a challenge, looking at my mother-in-law. Um, and, yeah, but you know, I, I asked her I, I at my birthday, and we went out, and in fact, you know that would be, yeah, our birthday soon actually, isn't it, Catherine? Yeah. Thinking back. Um, and I spent the whole night talking to Cathy. My friends I ignored. And they had a lovely time doing whatever else, and I just spent the whole night talking to Cathy, talking about all sorts of wonderful things. And, and that challenge quickly became, wow, I really want to get to know this woman better. My friends understood and they were all great, you know. And we, we began to kind of, you know, meet up regularly. And I used to get the newspaper and I used to maybe take the odd brownie over, or the odd mocha with extra cream, you know, to sweeten things. And, uh, and we got to know each other better, and, and yeah, you know, for me, I, I very quickly fell in love with Cathy, very quickly. Almost at first sight, maybe. Um, but I knew, and Kathy, Kathy knew I wasn't a Christian, but she told me after a number of times we dated that, that her family were praying for me and that she was praying for me. So one of those fundamental practices of the Christian faith, they were beginning to do already. As soon as they got to know me, they were beginning to pray for me and they wanted me to have my own relationship with Jesus and not vicariously through them and through Kathy. And they were praying that, that any persuasiveness of the devil would be pushed to one side. You know, they 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 understood or began to learn of things of my previous life, of where I what I dabbled in, what I I touched in, and and all that. And they began to pray that Jesus that would would push the devil to one side, and so he no longer had a foothold <laughs> in my life. And in doing that, in praying for me, as 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 Kathy and her family, they were being blessed. They will have been blessed because they were because they would rather see me have a relationship with Jesus and go on a a road trip to hell but they would be blessed because of that in praying they were given opportunities to to speak of the things of god with me they were beginning to work out that commandment of, of of making a disciple you know as i began to kind of accept more and more of this this jesus and this relationship and this faith they began to disciple me and kathy began to disciple me. And you know what? Um, She took opportunities to answer questions that I had. You know, she didn't ignore them, she didn't put them to one side. We had many a conversation about Jesus. Many things challenged me. but and, and, And to a degree, her family and Kathy answered those questions really well, because they were soaked in the Word of God, and they knew how to defend their faith. Um, but if they didn't know the answer to a question they would go away and find out the answer to the question there's nothing wrong with that you know, I'd rather, people would rather you're honest with them and try and bluff your way through some ridiculous answer that will turn out to have no foundations whatsoever it's better for you to go Do you know, I don't know, that's a great question I don't know the answer to that I'll find out and I'll come back to you that's a much more honest, a much better way of, of kind of helping people understand your faith and what you believe Kathy you know, didn't want to become complacent in her faith. And by reaching out to me, she, she was indeed herself nudged to, to reaffirm and to rediscover the basic tenets of her faith and how to explain them. And like I said earlier, I think we're all in danger of becoming complacent if we stop digging into the Word, if we, if we under-prioritize our prayer life and if we cease listening to good men and women of God preach the Word. You know, we begin... To get complacent. Like I say, Kathy had to defend her faith. She had to practice apologetics in a real way. You know, she had to answer these the these simple and, and most difficult questions. You know, the, the, uh, speaking in tongues, you know, that was bonkers. You know, for all of you who've been a part of the evangelical kind of charismatic church for, for decades, or maybe you were born into, into it, you. That was that's normal for you, for somebody outside of the church. Let me tell you, folks. No, not many people know that that particular gift of the spirit exists, and when they hear it, it's freaky. And you know, within public settings, you know, I, I would just be wary of, of when that particular gift is, is used, if there are those who don't yet have faith. Because I almost ended the relationship. It was that weird and extraordinary to me. And, and for many years afterwards, I, I, you know, I've done a lot of research into speaking in tongues and things like that. And there are some people within here whom I might differ in my theology about speaking in tongues, and that's fine. It's good. It makes for a good dinner conversation. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's a weird, weird thing. So she had, to, she had to be able to defend that in a way that was reasonable and to a degree made sense. So that's just one example. Because most of all, she had to speak plainly. And her family had to speak plainly to me. I didn't have any Christian ease. I didn't understand those kind of words. You know, I talked about fellowship the other week, didn't I? Fellowship's not a word you really hear outside of the church. It's not. You know, it's a great word, but it's not a word that you hear outside of the church, you know? And so she had to speak plainly. So she had to work out a lifestyle, you know, as well. You know, she had to... Um, get with someone, have to deal with somebody like me, and that can only come from God. She had to practice, and she continues to practice, I can assure you, a lifestyle of, of prayer and getting into His Word. She took those opportunities again to talk to me about Jesus, and, and, and when they came, she, like I said, she didn't put anything aside.